0: Here with Eddie Smad and I'm Natalie. Today, our episode topic is Spanish as a heritage language, the validity of all forms of Spanish, and the need to prove our Latinidad. So, Eddie, do you want to introduce our guest?
1: Yes. Today, we have Paola Guerrero Rodriguez. She is a fourth year doctoral candidate in Hispanic linguistics. She earned her BA in languages from Universidad Autónoma del Estado de México and her master's degree in Hispanic Linguistics from Texas Tech University. Her research includes, um, but is not limited to, Spanish as a heritage language, heritage language education, language ideologies, and language and discrimination. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast with us. Very interested to know a little bit more about your research, so can you like, introduce yourself a little
2: bit? Of course. First of all, thank you so much for having me. And as you were mentioning, part of my research interest is Spanish as a heritage language in the United States. And also besides being a doctoral student or candidate, I am also a Spanish graduate part-time instructor at the Department of Spanish and Portuguese Studies here at UF. And that is why I am also interested in Spanish heritage language pedagogy.
0: So can you tell us a little bit more about what is a heritage language?
2: Of course. Well, there are different kind of definitions, but the one that I will talk about today is the one defined by, by Rothman, 2009, where he describes that a heritage language is a language spoken at home or that it is available to young children And crucially, and one of the most important characteristics is that this language is not the dominant national language of a country. So in the multilingual context of the United States, we have English, which is not the official language, but de facto language. And this would make English the societal language in this country. And therefore, other languages such as Spanish, Japanese, Chinese, or French can be considered heritage languages here in this country.
0: Just to clarify a little bit. So I was speaking to another UF student about defining a heritage language, and she gave me a terrific example. Mm -hmm. So in this example, there is a Hispanic child who has a Polish nanny that speaks Polish.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And the child is emerged in the Polish culture slash language through their nanny, would they be considered a heritage speaker of Polish if they did pick up some Polish?
2: Yes, that's an excellent question, actually, because going back to what Rothman is saying, since the language can be spoken at home or available to young children, as you were saying, in this case of the Polish nanny and and the baby, we could say that this baby would be a heritage speaker of Polish if he or she develops a strong bond with the culture, because that is one of the characteristics that are the most important ones for heritage speakers is that beyond the linguistic part, having that cultural connection and that the culture is part of who this person is, is actually one of the the reasons that you could call someone a heritage speaker.
1: How would you say a heritage language What role would that play within somebody's identity within the culture?
2: Yes, that that's a great question, too, because when we talk about identity and the term heritage speaker, they are kind of connected because the community of heritage speakers in the U.S. since it is the the focus of my my research is heritage speakers is a really heterogeneous community meaning that one size does not fit all and that it is more about the size that fits me. So when we talk about identity, the the language that we speak plays a huge role on how we identify and how we relate with one community. And for heritage speakers, I would say that besides the language, Also, as I was mentioning, like that cultural bond with the heritage culture is really playing a big factor for you to be able to relate with with the culture and to relate with this community of the the heritage country. So in this sense, um, we cannot say that all heritage speakers speak, uh, in this case, Spanish at the same level or with the same proficiency. But we could say that their bond with the culture is important to describe who they are as individuals in a society
0: so what makes using the term heritage speaker different from using common classroom terms that we hear like native versus non-native speakers
2: yes that's very interesting because in general the term native speaker refers to the moment when a person acquired a language meaning that a native speaker would be a person who learned the language from earliest childhood. And in contrast, the term heritage speaker is used more to describe the context where an individual acquired a language. One of the biggest definition for who a heritage speaker is, was provided by Guadalupe Valdez. And she describes heritage speakers as individuals who were raised in a household where a non-societal language was spoken. So in this sense, in the context of the United States talking about Spanish, a person would be a Spanish heritage speaker if he or she was raised in this household where he or she learned the, the language. And if we consider that they acquired this language at an earliest childhood, we could also say that this person would be considered by some researchers as a native speaker. So for some scholars, these two terms are not mutually exclusive, but rather they intertwine.
0: You said that you are a professor that teaches Spanish as a heritage language.
2: Yes, I, I am the instructor here. I have had the opportunity to teach Spanish as a heritage language, both uh, at Texas Tech University and here at UF. So yes, I have some experience teaching Spanish as a heritage language here.
0: And what are some teaching techniques that you use in your classroom?
2: So as I was saying, this field is like relatively young. So there is a lot that we can still do with, with the techniques that we use in the classroom. But to date, uh, I would say that one of the most important teaching pedagogies for heritage speakers is a critical pedagogy. This is, is important and valuable because it encourages students to challenge the status quo and become active agents of change. So this is really important because what we learned in class Does we are aiming that have an actual effect beyond the classroom, like in the communities, for example. So that is why I consider that this pedagogy is one of the most important ones.
1: What drew you to the study of language? What do you find rewarding from doing it?
2: Well, that's an interesting question because I believe that teaching is an act of activism by itself. So when I am in the classroom, I believe that I have a voice that I can try to change some of the unequal circumstances that we have in society. And one of the main things that I talk about in my classes is linguistic discrimination. That may be something that we really don't focus about it because it may be something that we used day to day. But... Since it's there, we may take care of it for granted. It is not that obvious as maybe racial discrimination or some other forms of discrimination, but that is one of the reasons why I decided to study languages, to have a voice and to start like helping my community to, to fight with this discrimination and to challenge, as I said, like the status quo of how things are going now. So as
1: someone that grew up in Miami, Florida, I've Mm -hmm. come across different kinds of Spanish, different dialects, and different ways of speaking the language with the many people that inhabit the city, being from different Spanish-speaking countries. And it's just very interesting to see the differences between those dialects. And I wanted to ask you what your observations are in terms of the relationship different dialects have with each other and within the greater scope of the Spanish-speaking world?
2: Well, yes, Miami is, I would say, that one very particular place in the United States because Spanish is widely spoken there, which is not a situation that happens everywhere in the country. So I would like to start with how the different dialects are perceived in the Spanish-speaking world. Because I would say that we have been seeing discrimination towards certain features of the Spanish from from the United States. We can also see discrimination in the Spanish-speaking world towards different dialects. And something that is even worse, in my opinion, is to see discrimination inside the same country. For example, last year, a student from the University of Alcalá in Spain, she did a study about 29 characters from Spanish and foreign media that were dubbed in Spanish from Spain. I don't know if you are familiar with this, but most of the times when we have movies or, or TV shows that are dubbed in Spanish, we have a version for Spanish from the Americas, and a version for the Spanish from Spain. So in her study, Elvira uh, found that the Andalus accent, that is the accent that is spoken in the southern part of the country, was associated with illiteracy and lower social classes. Since she only examined the 29 characters that I was telling you about, she found that one of the characters on their analysis was Napoleon, from the Disney movie, The Aristocats. And this dog, when dubbed into a, in Spanish, she found that Napoleon, this a character from The Aristocats, was dubbed by the Andalus actor, Florencio Castello. So meaning that the particular accent that people give to the characters is talking about the personality that they want to project to the audience and this same actor has been dubbing different movies and different characters another one is buzz lightyear from toy story you know that that character and it, it was interesting that from that dialect when they dub the voice when in, in toy story 3 the bo- buzz lightyear is not like properly working or something happens to him And when that happened, he starts using the Andalus accent. And when Buzz Lightyear was in perfect condition and perfect shape, the dialect changes to the more standard, so to speak, Spanish dialect. So you can see there the differences in the linguistic ideologies that in Spain they have towards that Andalus dialect. And which is a shame because we are like reproducing those linguistic discrimination towards our own dialects. Something that is also important to mention is that this phenomenon, when a dialect or a language is discriminated, it receives the name of accentism. And as I was saying, this phenomenon is not exclusive of Spanish. It can occur in any language. And of course, it occurs here in the United States. So I'm focusing on the case of Spanish in Washington DC in the 1985, Hart Gonzalez found that from a group of South American and Central American, they rated Mexican Spanish as an upper middle prestige variety. While Salvadoran Spanish was perceived as a low prestige variety even by their own Salvadorans that were participating in this study. So this tells you that the linguistic discrimination or dialect discrimination is not happening just outside the United States, it's happening everywhere and most importantly, It was that Aaron and Hernandez in 2007 in a different community of Spanish speakers that is Houston, Texas. Over there, Mexican Spanish is the dominant variety. And they found that the earlier individuals from El Salvador migrate into Houston, the more likely they are going to adjust their dialect patterns. Usually this pattern that they adjust was the pronunciation of the S, At at the end of the word, you know that in El Salvador, sometimes it is more like an aspiration of the S. So when they went to Houston, they started to pronounce the S as the Mexican community did. And this was done because, again, Spanish is the dominant variety and it is supposed to have more prestige in that community. So I I believe that this kind of ideologies tell us that when we are criticizing someone's accent, we are not directly criticizing the person who speaks the language, especially if this is a person that we don't really know or that we are just encountering for the first time in our lives. So what we are criticizing under those circumstances is the community we associate this person with based on our own implicit or explicit biases that we have about that community. And that is something that I believe is really important to mention because we may not even realize that we have a bias over certain communities that in the end, this reflects that we may have
0: them. Uh, You reminded me of my high school Spanish days. Both of my teachers for that class, they would both tell me that I spoke Spanish from El Rancho because I was Mexican. And I would say terms that were exclusive to, I guess, Mexican Spanish and be like, that's Mm -hmm. not proper. That's not Spain Spanish. Spain Spanish is the correct Spanish. It did kind of make me as an individual feel a little bad that the Spanish I was speaking wasn't the correct form of Spanish, but it was a Spanish that I grew up speaking. Mm -hmm. It allowed me to communicate with my family members, my friends, my cousins, just everyone. And yeah, we do really experience and subconsciously, and especially in the in respect to my teachers, um, maybe they didn't intend to make me feel bad. But because of the way that their curriculum is shaped, they were telling me that the Spain Spanish is the correct way, because that's what was gonna be on the exam.
2: Yes, I, I have, unfortunately, I have heard that comment hundreds of times before, because that is what some people believe. And it's a shame, in my opinion, that even language teachers perpetuate those kinds of stereotypes, because students, in the end, listen to what the teacher is saying. And when we are reproducing this kind of stigmatization or accentism towards different dialects, we are encouraging like dialect supremacy, so to speak. And when you are not part of the speakers who spoke that prestigious variety, of course you are going to feel bad, especially for heritage speakers which their confidence in the heritage language may not be strong enough to resist this kind of criticism. You internalize the negative comments that you are hearing and that can be detrimental for your own confidence. So in, again, going back to my classes, this is something that we really encourage that the students stop believing that Spanish from Spain is the real Spanish or the correct Spanish. Because in the end, who determines what is the correct Spanish or not? That is something that in a society, we should work together, that we can start in the individual stage by really challenging those institutions or those people that tell you, that this Spanish is the correct one, or that standard Spanish is the correct one. Because if you see it, the, the language that we use, for example, in the US, the Spanish, where we say troca, aplicacion, lonche, we understand each other. And we don't really ask, oh, what did you mean? Unless you are from, from a different uh, part of the country, maybe. But in my opinion, and from a linguist point of view, we don't consider any dialect to be superior to any other because they fulfill the function to communicate and who determines what is accepted or not is the community that speaks that language we are the second most spoken language in the world it is really impossible that every single speaker in this world speaks the same language with the same characteristics, with the same words, with the same pronunciation. So talking about that is that we need to really think about it. Is really a Spanish from Spain the best Spanish? Why? If I don't speak like them, does it mean that I am wrong? No. In my opinion, the answer is nobody is wrong. We have our own identities and we have our own dialects that are part of who we are. So perpetuating those stereotypes, in my opinion, should stop. And it stops when we stop believing in them.
1: When you bring up the question of who's setting the standard, who is making the decisions or asserting that the Spanish language should emulate that of Spain, it kind of like touches on our history of colonialism as well. I'm, I'm no historian, but... I feel mm-hmm. like in a way, we're trying to deconstruct these things that been in place historically and for so long. And it's unfortunate that some dialects are preferred over others, or there are certain perceptions within the communities that speak those different dialects. But at the end of the day, Spanish is a beautiful language. I'm glad to mm-hmm. be a Spanish speaker. I love to hear it. And I love hearing different kinds of Spanish too. The cadence is different. Um, the idioms are dis- different, um, the music is different, so I really would hope that people learn to admire the language and even the different nuances within
2: it. Exactly and you just mentioned one word that right now it is it's something that we language teachers and linguists are really focusing on that it is decolonizing the curriculum and stop perpetuating those ideologies that one dialect is superior to other. So in classes, we really work on that because one example that I can give you right now is that in most language textbooks, we find vosotros, you know, this form of the verb that is not used in the Americas, but what we barely have in our textbooks is the use of vos, And vos is more used throughout the Central and South American countries. So one of the steps that we are trying to do is including both vosotros and vos in our classes and to start telling students that even though it is not on the textbook, it is used by actual speakers. And that is one way to start recognizing that each dialect has its own forms and all of them are valuable. So this decolonizing the curriculum, I, I believe is, is right now one of the, of the biggest steps that language, or at least Spanish teaching, is taking.
1: Something that I've come across as a Spanish speaker, being someone that was born in the United States to Colombian parents, sometimes I find myself feeling like my Spanish is not good enough, or that I'm not Colombian enough, and then like having to battle that I guess, coming to terms with my Latinidad and trying to like really embody it. Is that something that you've seen in your studies or is that something that you have experienced as well?
2: Of course, uh, I would say that this is something that a lot of heritage speakers, and I would not like to generalize, but most of them, experience this exact feeling that you are saying. And this does not become something that they believe that every, that some other people are experiencing until the point that they talk to other heritage speakers and that they say, oh, I feel like that too. So in my classes, this is one of the topics that, that we usually discuss. Like, okay, who says that your Spanish is not good enough? Under what circumstances, what is the context where you have encountered this kind of interactions or what has made you feel this way? So there is some of the crucial discussions that we have in class and that I believe has been widely documented in the field about this this struggle to to have just feeling that you are not good enough for both communities. So I would say that this is, crucial for the study of any heritage language.
1: What would your advice be to someone who might feel that way or what's the takeaway from these lessons?
2: First, I would like to say that we should remember that Spanish is not monolithic. And in the context of, of the United States, Spanish coexists with English. And this is a scenario where we have two languages or more in contact. And this is scenario is not uncommon around the globe. For example, Spanish and indigenous languages have coexisted since the Americas were Spanish colonies. And the effects of this contact can still be perceived in our day-to-day Spanish. I can give you an example of Mexican Spanish that is the Spanish dialect that I speak, where words like chocolate, chocolate, or aguacate, avocado, they were adapted from the indigenous language Nahuatl and today it is hard to deny that those words are part of Mexican Spanish. So going back to your question about what advice I would say for heritage speakers I would tell them that when they say or when they hear words like lonche, troca, aplicación, that are words that even people who are not from from the United States will become used to these words, we now use them. So the problem here is that when we hear or when we use these words that are adapted from English, these words are usually criticized or perceived as incorrect. Also, they are widely used, as I mentioned in Spanish from the United States. So one thing is that uh, we can observe this double standard when judging languages from different points of view so the effects that this double standard has on heritage speakers linguistic confidence is huge and is widely negative so it is our task as speakers of a language to encourage respect for all dialects because in the end languages have the function to communicate a message which which in this case Spanish from the US and Spanish from Mexico and any other dialect fulfill this objective. So I would say that we, the speakers need to start acknowledging that words are not correct or incorrect. Words are there because we need them and because they fulfill the objective to communicate something. So I would encourage everybody, not just heritage speakers, that they start respecting the resources that we have as speakers of a language. Because if you see it from this point of view, heritage speakers, they have the advantage to have the access to at least two languages since early stages of their life. And that is an advantage that not everybody in the world have. For instance, I did not have that advantage. I learned English when I was 18 years old And it was even harder for me. So when we start acknowledging that this is an advantage instead of a disadvantage, we can start also respecting and acknowledging that we have something that is special and that maybe not everybody have as as heritage speakers, like that access to different resources in two languages.
0: In relation to Eyes to the Culture, someone who maybe understand Spanish, but doesn't speak it. How would this affect their identity if they still feel very tied to the culture? Because maybe their parents were fluent Spanish speakers and grew up speaking Spanish and are from a Spanish-speaking country, but their parents still exposed them to English and spoke to them in English, still immersed them in their culture. How would they continue to learn Spanish as a heritage language if they wanted to?
2: Yes, so I would say that there is this situation with heritage languages here in the United States. Spanish, unfortunately, by the third generation is lost. This is a common trend. It's not that it is going to happen with every single heritage speaker, but that is the trend that we have here in this country. And having said so, the Spanish or any language is tied to your identity most of the times. So if you were exposed as a heritage speaker to the heritage language, in this case to a Spanish, there is somewhere in, in your brain, let's say it like that, that, where that language is there because you may not have the opportunities to practice the language, you you did not have the chance maybe to talk to your parents in this language or you don't have a community where this language is spoken. So one of the options for heritage speakers who want to start relearning or reacquire the, the language is attending classes. And here at UF, we have that track that is Spanish for heritage learners. And one of the goals of these classes in general, not just here at UF, is to start like reactivating this, this language for heritage speakers that they feel that they, they know more than they, they really think they do. And also to maintain Spanish being spoken beyond the third generation. That is some of the goals like in the long term that classes would be the first uh, step that I would say a person could take if they do not have other opportunities to reactivate the language. And uh, something that sometimes is maybe misunderstood is that heritage language classes are not more difficult than traditional language classes. Why I say that? Because sometimes heritage speakers may think or may feel that they can stay in in traditional second language classes because they are going to be easier since they already know about the language and that heritage language classes are going to be harder because they think that a lot is expected from them in those classes but that is actually a myth because in the heritage language classes what we do is that we also have different class levels so we start from the level where students are more receptive, that they understand the language and that they may not feel comfortable or confident enough to speak the language. So that that would be the, the first level. And then we move from there to the point where they are receptive and productive so that they understand and that they speak the language. But we not only focused on language in those classes, we also focused on things such as identity struggles for these
0: students. I find it really interesting that you mentioned Spanish being lost by the third generation because I think it's something I'm actually seeing in my family in terms of my nieces and my nephews. My mother, she spoke Spanish, just Spanish, and so me, my brother, and my sister, Mm -hmm. we all spoke Spanish very early on that was our first language until we got to school and we learned English Mm -hmm. and now that my brother and sister have children it's kind of difficult for them to teach their children Spanish because they're so used to using English in their everyday lives that's like something I've always (laughs) like thought about because I speak English Mm -hmm. and I also speak Spanish but I'm just it's like in the back of my mind of how am I going to ensure that my descendants and my children continue to speak Spanish?
2: That's a, a great comment because what, what we see is that the second generation is usually like dominant in English, but their, their dominance in Spanish is also, let's say that, that they can speak the language and understand it. However, maybe their confidence in their Spanish skills is not that high. And that is when they may think that they are not maybe good enough to teach their own children Spanish, since they consider that their Spanish is not good enough. So in that case, I would say that when you want to, to have your descendants speaking Spanish, Just you need to work on your own ideologies about your own language skills and believe that you have the language there and that it is better that you speak the language that you know to your children because that is going to encourage them to feel connected to their culture and to feel that they have that opportunity to learn the language from an early stage. Because in my classes, I have some students who told me that their parents barely spoke to them in spanish and that that is something that they regret because they did not give them the chance to learn that language even if it was just a little bit because that is an opportunity that as as i told you not everybody have and sometimes parents do not realize the importance of speaking or exposing their children to a second or a heritage language so Going back to your comment, I would encourage parents eh, to really believe that their Spanish is good enough for their children to acquire and to give them that chance just to be exposed to the language. And you know also there are uh, schools where they have these dual programs where some classes are taught in Spanish and some others are taught in English. So that would be also a good opportunity for their children to keep the exposure to, to the Spanish language.
0: So, Paula, with all this conversation about bilingualism and identity, I'm really reminded of that scene from the Selena movie where her father goes off on a tangent. And basically the whole idea of the scene was we have to be more Mexican than the Mexicans and more Americans than the Americans. So, it's this need to constantly have to prove yourself to both communities. Is this something that you see a lot within heritage speakers and your students?
2: Yes, Natalie, I'm, I'm glad you bring this up because, yes, that is unfortunately something that I have seen a lot in my classes in both uh, institutions where I have been studying. And this scene, this particular part of Selena, the movie, is very important in our classes because even though they are just focusing on Mexican-Americans in the movie. We can just change Mexican for any other origin, like Colombian or Cuban-Americans or any other community. And I believe that most people, more her- most heritage speakers would really relate with that. And I would also say that this scene is an accurate example of what heritage speakers usually experience that need to have to prove themselves to both communities, both from cultural and linguistic perspectives. However, in my classes, when I talk about identity, I frequently discuss with my students if they think that a Spanish monolingual know all the words from all Spanish dialects. Well, I would say that that's no. Does a person have lived their entire life in the same Spanish-speaking country know all the traditions of the Hispanic culture? Again, I don't think so. Yet, it would be hardly expected that this person's membership into a social group is questioned because they do not know a word or a cultural tradition. However, for heritage speakers, this situation is different. They may be expected to perfectly know not only the heritage language and culture, but the societal language and culture as well. And this becomes a double standard which may negatively impact bilingual or heritage speakers. So maybe the key to stop perpetuating these insecurities is just to flip the coin and start focusing on who we are, what we know and stop paying attention to unjust comparisons. So I highly encourage my students to critically think about who they should prove what because most likely in our lives, we may encounter critics and may not be able to satisfy everyone. So why don't we focus on satisfying our own needs and desires instead?
0: All right, Paola. So thank you for being a guest on our show today. And personally me and maybe Yadismar, I feel very validated because I know my Spanish is not perfect and I think you made a very important point earlier with the concept of decolonizing Spanish mm-hmm. and encouraging these other dialects to be spoken and just embracing all of these dialects.
2: Thank you. And I, I really appreciate this opportunity. And I would just like very briefly, to say that nobody can take our identity away from us unless we let them. So let's fight for our identities. Let's fight for our right to speak the language and not being discriminated for speaking differently from what it is expected.
1: If you've enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about bilingualism and what your language says about you. We have an event coming up on November 19th via Zoom. It's a presentation on bilingualism and basically the different ways that it benefits you as a person.
0: Yes, it will be at 4 30 and we are most likely going to post about it on our Instagram, which is UFHLA underscore. So be on the lookout for that information. Bye. Bye!